Kids can go ahead and be dismissed. Uh, I'm really glad you're here today. We're um, continuing in our series um, called Speaking of Jesus. And uh, the focus for today is, is really what it looks like to be people who know our story well enough to tell our story and allow the Lord to use um, His work and His gospel work in us to speak of Him out through our lives as we tell um, our story. And so, um, actually, this morning, my wife is going to tell her story. Um, it's National Orphan Sunday, which basically uh, just one Sunday in a year, uh, which needs a lot more than that, but just to, to raise awareness for the great orphan need. Um, and the statistics are staggering. I'm not going to put them up in front of you because um, obviously we're all well aware that, that there's great need in our world regarding caring for um, the weak and caring for uh, the orphan. And so I, wanna, I, just, I do want to read a passage because I believe one of the reasons why the church is to be on the front lines of caring for orphans is because that's what God did for us, right? Um, we were nobody. We were orphaned and fatherless. And the scripture says that, that we were given a father, that he became a father to us. And so, um, but another passage in Proverbs 31 says this. It says, Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And so um, I, I put my wife up to this task and just asked if she'd be willing to just to share her journey. Um, and really my prayer is that uh, the Lord would, would stir our hearts for whatever it looks like um, to engage uh, just in the massive need of caring for the weak and the poor regarding kids. Um, and so we just pray that the Lord would stir hearts, whatever that looks like. Um, so watch, uh, watch this story. Hi, my name is Danielle Coos. And we went from two kids to four kids overnight. And this is our story. The Sunday before Mother's Day in 2007, I was at church, and a pastor talked about sometimes to be a mom, you have to sacrifice big things. And I realized at that point that my big sacrifice was running a marathon, because a few days later, I found out I was pregnant with our first baby. Throughout the next four years, God took me on a journey um, of just having a deep desire to do foster care and adoption. In 2013, my husband and I ran a marathon in honor of the kids that we would adopt someday. And I think that was the first moment where I felt like God was entered into our story of foster care and adoption. Because whereas he removed the marathon to become a mom, he used that to help build our family. So in early 2014, our paperwork was almost completed, just had a little bit left to be done, and we got a phone call for a overnight placement for a little boy. It was five pounds, he'd been drug exposed, and we had him overnight, and then we went to court the next day and got to meet his mom, and um, it was just a beautiful piece along our journey. A few days later, after that, we got a phone call um, for a sibling set, and it was a seven and a 14-year-old, and they needed to be placed very quickly. So our caseworkers stayed up and basically expedited that process because they were in a rush. Hours before we got them, we got a phone call that they weren't coming anymore. That was really hard for me 
because I went through the emotional process of being really scared about taking on kids that were older than what we had expected to being really excited that this was going to be our first placement. But I just knew, we knew that God was was doing something and we knew that this was just a part of the process. Two days after that, we got a phone call for another sibling set, a two-year-old, almost three-year-old, and a four-month-old. And um, we once again said yes. Didn't know what would happen, if these kids would stay, how long we would have them. Just really unique because our paperwork would not have been done in time. We would never have gotten that phone call had we not said yes to the seven and 14 year old. The two kids that came to live with us, um, their names were Danny and Amelia. Danny was the two year old. He was almost three and Amelia was the four month old. And they had the same mom, but different dads. So throughout this entire foster care process, Dave and I decided that we would be very intentional about loving the biological family as best as we could. So with Danny and Amelia's mom, on Mother's Day we made her cookies, we sent her cards. Um, throughout just normal weeks, we would pray for her. Um, we sent our stories to her and said if somebody had our kids, we would want to know. We would want to know them. So we explained who we were and what our passions were and hobbies and things like that. So four months later, we got a phone call that Danny and Amelia's mom had unexpectedly passed away at home. And so that basically confused us. We weren't, we weren't really ready to hear that information and we didn't even know what to do with that. Um, but because we had loved her so well, she had told her mom that she was happy with the placement that the kids had been at and so the biological grandmother gave us permission to adopt the kids. We then spent the next 14 months filing more paperwork and terminating parental rights for their mother who was deceased and John Doe for their fathers and um, just celebrated our one year adoption anniversary. When I was thinking about like what I was going to say, I was reading about like what makes good stories and how a good story is marked by like memorable characters. And a memorable character comes along in a story when they surpass like typical stereotypes. And so what what's made this really like sweet for me is that God has been a character in our story and how the typical stereotype of how I view God, like he's surpassed that and he's broken out of the stereotype and so he's become a memorable character in our story. If you would have told me in the very beginning how difficult this process would have been, I don't think I ever would have said yes. Um, but there's also been so much beauty and early on in the process I was reading a book and there was a phrase that the author had talked about and she said both terrible and beautiful and I think that summarizes our whole story up that somehow we've walked through probably for me the most terrible thing that I've ever walked through the most trying thing um, it's taken so much out of us it's changed the way our family dynamics are sometimes for the good sometimes for the bad so it's been terrible but at the same time it's been beautiful and that's the part that 
that I treasure is because that's where God has entered into our pain and entered into Danny's and Amelia's pain and the Tobin and Mikhail's pain of having to adjust. And it's just been beautiful. And so I've seen and I know firsthand what the terrible and the beautiful look like and how they exist together. And it's changed us, but it's changed us for the better. Thanks for doing that, uh, Danielle and Kyle, for editing that up together. Um, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get into the message. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the stories that you've brought us all through. Um, God, I pray now that you would um, guide our thoughts and guide the, the words this morning. Father, draw us into your presence. Draw us into your story. Um, press us into the beauty of what you're saying to us. I thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Uh, so the, the theme that I, I want to point us to this morning is to know your story and to tell your story. And we started off this morning with Danielle telling a bit of their story, and most of you here know that story already. Um, but I think it's really good for us to, to consider the stories around us because God is, is speaking through stories. Um, I think that's it's a... Everywhere, and as we so it's it's know your story and tell your story and, and know your story because we want to that helps us to plant the gospel in us and then tell your story because that causes us to plant the gospel through us and through our stories. Um, story is uh, basically follows this form. First is creation and the way things are supposed to be. So it starts out with creation. This is the way that things are supposed to be. Um, when we think about orphans, to be an orphan is not the way things are supposed to be. Uh, look around our world today. This is not, it's, it's not too hard for us to understand this is not the way things are supposed to be, which is the second line of every story. There's a fall, which is the things are now not the way they are supposed to be. This is the way things are, and we know that's not the way they are supposed to be. Um, then the third cycle there is redemption, and it's the process of moving things to the way they are supposed to be. Uh, so we've got the way things are, and now we see they're clearly not the way they're supposed to be, and now redemption is moving things to way, the way they are supposed to be. And the, the story of, of the adoption of, of Danny and uh, Amelia, it's, we're showing this is the way things are supposed to be. Children are supposed to have parents. And then restoration is the finalization of the way things are supposed to be. Uh, but you've, you've heard me say those things before, probably. But I, I want to kind of focus in on, on two things this morning. One is, is the macro story and the micro story. God is telling thousands of micro stories throughout the course of, of your life. And for the Kuntzes, the, the big macro story is the adoption. But there are little micro stories all throughout Stories of pain, stories of triumph, stories of, of all these different things. And so there's, there's micro stories in all of our lives, but the big macro overwhelming story is this. I read this this week, um, the macro gospel story. We are created to be in knowing and known relationship with God 
and each other. Completely vulnerable with all that we are and confident to be exposed for all that we are. Let me say that again. We were created to be confident and exposed for all that we are. That's, a, that's pretty deep. Um, both with God and with man. We are sinners who have fallen and sinned and thus have been sentenced to death or have lost relationship with God. But God sent his son Jesus into the world to live in our world and be tempted the way that we are tempted and yet live a sinless life. Die a substitutionary death on the cross and defeat death by rising from the dead and to reconcile us to God by praying, by paying the penalty for our sin. That's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That is the big macro story. We were created to live in perfect, harmonious peace. Scripture in Genesis calls it naked and unashamed. That's the vulnerability, complete fullness. I am comfortable with you knowing everything there is to know about me. That's the way that we were created to live. And then the fall happened and broke that. And so then Christ came back and brought things back to the way they are supposed to be. And one day we long for the complete restoration of the macro story when we are now before God, holy and blameless with the opportunity to, to thoroughly know him and to be known. Um, there's, there's another macro and micro story here. Uh, I've talked to, to Josh earlier this week. Uh, I think he may be up. Oh, there's Josh. Um, and got kind of permission to tell his story. Josh grew up at a church called First Baptist Church of Harvester and worked there for, how long did you work there, Josh? Eight years. So a long time. I spent a lot of time growing up there. And not long ago, he lost his job there. And uh, he, he and I connected over that. We've had a relationship in the past. And so we began to, to think through that. And so there's, there, so the creation is Josh is, is living and serving in the church where he grew up. And this is a, a, a real part of his like identity is, is to lead people to discipleship and, and that's what he was doing and now he's told that he can't do that anymore that's not the way things are supposed to be for josh's identity right and so there's this brokenness around him and i've got to lead my family i've got to provide for my family i've got to live in who god has called me to be i have a mission and a purpose for my life and now i'm confused about what that looks like this this creation and then the fall story and then god begins to to kind of open his eyes to possibilities and, and differences. And now Josh is, is serving in a church. Do you guys know, uh, by the way, that the McAllister family woke up this morning and they were like vacuuming and, and spraying stuff in this room like at 8.30 this morning. Uh, and, and that's a like, yay, Josh and Aaron and, and the kids, way to go, good job. But I say that is that's part of the redemption story that's taking place in their lives. Um, and... I, I want to highlight, a, we, we've highlighted Danielle's story, and I've, I've talked about Josh's story, about losing his job, and God redeeming and, and bringing him to us and, and to this place, and, and to get our minds thinking about our own stories. One of the takeaways that I want to have for you today, and I walked up, while they're vacuuming, I'm walking back and forth praying for the people that were sitting in these chairs, that they would, you would, connect with your story and See the gospel in that story. Because here's the fact. God is telling a micro story in your heart and in your life right now. I need you to know that. And what's going on in your world, God is telling a micro story in your world to 
press the gospel into your own heart and then to press the gospel through you and into this community, into this culture. And we are desperately in need of people telling their micro stories of the gospel. And you are desperately in need of telling your own micro story of the gospel to your own heart because God is working something. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration is happening in your soul and in your spirit with whatever is going on in your world right now. Um, I want to show a, a clip of a television show, one of my favorites. It's Lost. Um, and I want to show a clip because I believe that in that, this, the, the series of Lost is a great example of a bunch of different micro stories coming together to tell a macro story. And, and here's the thing that is, it's really important in the middle of it because there are macro, our micro stories of creation, of fall, and redemption and restoration happening all over that series. And there are, in the middle of it, someone experiencing a fall is providing redemption for someone else's fall. And, and that's the, the beauty of story. That's the poetry of story. In, in the clip you're, you're going to see, Jack, the, kind of the, the main character, is in the middle of his fall. His, his great fall. But in the middle of it, he is the agent of redemption for other people. And it's, it's poetry. And, and I want you to see the beauty of it in wherever you are in your timeline of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. In your micro story, God can and will use that to bring about redemption around you. So uh, let's watch a couple of clips here. That's, that's there that I want to go back and show you that like six times. 
Um, yeah, there he is. There's, there's Jack. Uh, and he's there because I want to tell you some, some things about him. Um, the, he's, did, did, you, did you see what, like, he reached in his pocket, the first thing that he found in there was a bottle of, like, an airplane bottle of alcohol? Jack is an alcoholic. Um, Jack comes from a father who's an alcoholic. And Jack's father is not only an alcoholic, but he's a very oppressive dad. And Jack lives his entire life in the shadow of his dad. So Jack is this brilliant surgeon. His dad was this brilliant surgeon. Jack was this great, Jack's dad was this great leader and this, a great alcohol, this terrible alcoholic. And it's terrible and beautiful is his story. And it's, there's so much confliction that's happening in Jack. And he's right in the middle. You guys remember why Jack was on that plane. He had to go to Australia to pick up his dead father, who he was estranged from, and fly his, his corpse back to the United States to bury his dad. And so he's literally and figuratively burying his dad. He's right smack in the middle of a fall. He's coming to grips with alcoholism, coming to grips with the fact that now his, he'll never be re- reconciled with his dad. He's gone. He's dead. And now he, there's this, this deep, conflicting thing that's happening. Jack is in the very middle of his fall. And I think there's some, some poetry. He's running through the jungle and there's jungle everywhere around him and chaos is around him and he gets to the edge of the jungle and you notice he looks off to the right and it's tranquility, it's serenity, it's peace, it's whatever. And then the camera begins to pan and you start to hear the screams and then he runs into the chaos. And so in the middle of his fall, he gets a glimpse of creation and then he goes right back into the fall. And the beauty is... God created Jack. Jack, who Jack is, his identity, is this great leader who's an incredible doctor, a great surgeon, and now he is, while in the middle of his fall, providing redemption for those who are in the middle of their falls. And so I want to, like, the thing that we need to see, and and I, I want you to see, is the beauty that's happening in the middle of that, the poetry of God. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's workmanship. And that word workmanship is the identical word that's used to say poetry. We are God's poetry. The story that you're living, the creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that micro story of your life is poetry to speak just like Jack running through the jungle to go in the middle of his fall to go and be redemption in this world. That's, that's you. You're in the middle of a fall perhaps. But God is calling and has created you and has crafted your identity to bring redemption to to places around you. Know that. That's the truth that uh, who God is. Uh, Acts 26. Flip there if you would. It's not going to be on the screen. It's a long passage and we're going to walk through it and I'm going to comment on some stuff in Acts 26. We're going to see Paul living out a micro story and proclaiming his big macro story in the middle of it. Uh, A little bit of history before we get to that. So Paul is in prison here at the end of Acts and he's, there are Festus and Felix, our governors that have been kind of puppet governors that have been put up to control the Jewish population uh, in the the area at this point. But Rome is really in control. So Felix and Festus are guys that have thrown Paul into prison, and now Paul has asked to be able to speak to King Agrippa and tell a story to King Agrippa, and so they let him. That's what's, what happens in like the previous chapter. So look, pick it up, Acts 26, verse 1. 
So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. You have permission to tell your story. Uh, Parenthetically, let me insert that when we love people, when we live on our mission, and God, we've we've talked about that a lot. I, I think, I hope you guys know that God has a very specific and very purposeful mission for your life. We talked last week about our circles. There are people in this world that you have a unique perspective to speak into their life. There's some, there's somebody in this world, probably three, four, five people in this world that you have a unique possibility to speak to their life that no one else on the planet has. And it's your ability and your willingness to love and live on mission that allows you the right to tell your story to that person. For Paul, he had lived his life on mission and he had lived his life loving and honoring and serving and listening to people and therefore he gets this permission here in this moment to tell his story to Agrippa, a really powerful man. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against the accusation of the Jews especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem, is known to all the Jews. Everybody knows the story of Paul. Verse 5. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived life as a Pharisee. That is, I've paid very careful attention to every law and, and followed every law and taught every law. Paul was a good Jew, a good Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. And as they earnestly worship night and day, and for this hope, I'm accused by the Jews, O king." Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And again, this is not long after the resurrection of Christ. And Paul's been talking about the resurrection of Christ for a long time. I myself, verse, uh, verse 9 here, I myself am convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul is saying what his past was. This is a past fall. As he's telling this micro story, he's talking about a past fall. I was putting people in prison and I was sentencing people to die because of Jesus. Verse 11. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul has been chasing after killing Christians, and now he has a face-to-face encounter with Christians. He's in the middle of his redemption here. 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those to, in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right, look up here. This is, this is, this is really important in the middle of this story, in the middle of your story, in the middle of knowing your story and telling your story. This is supremely important. Paul is in prison right now because he's been living out his mission. But circumstances don't drive Paul's willingness to live on his mission. In the middle of a fall for Paul, he's in prison and he's fighting, he's arguing for his life here in this moment. They want to put him to death and he's arguing for his life in this, in this moment. He is absolutely in the middle of a fall. But the macro story of Paul's life is I've been created to live on this planet to tell the story of Jesus Christ. We have been created by God to know him and to make him known. And one of the most important things for us to hear in the midst of this entire series is learning how to tell our story. And the story that we're telling is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I once was this and now I'm this because of the redemption of Jesus Christ. And no matter where you, you could be in the middle of a fall proclaiming this creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's what Jack was doing and that's what Paul is doing here. And that's the call of us. And, and there's so much fall all around us. Like you don't need me to, to tell you that. There's so much fall all around us. But in the middle of it, God is calling you and has brought you into circles People, places, communities where you have a unique opportunity to share, to speak, to love, to point towards God. To point towards his redemption. And Paul finds himself in the middle of one of those circles here. Verse 18. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That's the mission and call of God, of Paul, is to proclaim repentance and performing the deeds according to that repentance. Verse 21. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me of fall. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, redemption. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles." He's proclaiming the, the message of, of redemption. And this is why it's so important for us to know our story, to preach the gospel to ourselves. Like, like Dave and Danielle, in the, in the middle of, of all the hardship with, with Danny and Amelia and trying to merge families together, there's so much 
like we know a lot of those pain and hardship stories, but we can't know them the way that they know them. And as they engage with their story, they begin to preach the gospel to their own hearts and know it deeper. You think like we have a good understanding of what it means to be adopted as sons by Christ? Not to the extent that they have. Because knowing our story and connecting with our story, and you have opportunities to know the love of God in beautiful ways that I don't. But God is telling a story to you to press the gospel deeper into your spirit. And this is what encourages and motivates and creates the story inside Paul to say this very boldly, very profoundly to this audience. So that he can, he's been speaking the gospel to himself and now he's speaking it through him. Verse 24, some more fall happens in the story. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, who's one of the governors, who was one of the reasons why Paul was here, who wanted to see Paul die, said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things, all those things that he just said about Jesus and who he was and all of what he said, none of those things had escaped his notice. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. For this has not been done in a corner. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? He's very clear. He's, he's presenting the gospel to this really powerful man in this really powerful moment, and Agrippa's picking up on it. What are, you, are you trying to convince me to be a Christian? And Paul, in verse 29, said, Whether a short or long, I would that God, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except these chains. Um. God is very, probably subtly, maybe directly and maybe not so subtly, telling a gospel story in whatever the micro thing that's happening in your world is right now. And he's doing it for two reasons. One is to press the gospel into your soul. And all of these stories, Danielle's, Jack's, Josh's, all these things that have been put on display this morning are for the purpose to teach us how to see the gospel in our micro stories. And that's my prayer this morning, is for us to be taught how to see the micro story of the gospel present in our lives and then tell our story, to know our story and to tell our story. I want to end reading five verses over you that press this down into us. Romans 8:28 And we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know this verse, but I want to press the truth into this. This is the gospel in your micro story. We know that for all those who love God our micro stories are working together for the macro story for those who are called to his purpose. <clears throat> 